guess you haven't noticed, we have, uh, we're working with, boy, you guys are talkative this morning. That's good. That's good. I'm just going to go sit back here. Uh, we're, we're working with, with Ryan, who's leading this morning. That's, that wasn't Sean, in case you didn't notice. Uh, again, if you, if you don't know, uh, Sean is actually going to school in the middle of August. And so he's leaving us, and so we're now working with Ryan. Ryan's going to kind of be taking over for Sean. So offer him some grace, especially when he like gets done playing a song and he's like, oh, oh there's people here. Hey. Uh, <laughs> he's so funny sometimes. He just... So anyway, uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called YouVersion. You download that, click on Live. It'll bring up the sermon notes and the verses and all the questions that we go through. Now, again, we did switch to the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Scriptures. And Crossway uh, gave us a, a really good deal that if you want to actually go to crossway.org forward slash ECC for Element Christian Church, they will give you 40% off any of the Bibles that they sell. So you don't have to have a little paper one where when it rains, it soaks up this big and, and it's just like a paperweight at that point. But if you, if you want you know, a, a nice one, you can do that. Uh, tomorrow, no, today's the third. Today is the last day that they're offering us a discount. So they gave it to us for a month. So if you guys want one, go there. Pick one up. I'm not plugging them or anything like that. We don't make any money off it. I'm just saying you get 40% off, and that's, that's usually, 40% off usually a pretty good deal. If you can go buy like a house or a car for 40% off, that would be a good deal. Again, baptisms are today there at my wife and my house, and we, we bought a foreclosure about six, seven, eight months ago. Eight months? I see time flies. And we have been working on it nonstop ever since. And when you get there, you're going to think, wow, this is a big house. They must pay them a lot. They don't, all right? <laughs> we bought this house of foreclosure, and it was pretty trash, and we have been working on it nonstop. So hopefully when you get there, you guys will really enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to, as soon as second service is done, I'm running over there because my dog went to the bathroom this morning. I'll pick that up so it's all nice <laughs> for all of you. Uh, I got two, two things here. If... Uh, if you're going to buy some fireworks, we would recommend that you guys go to, there's a booth in front of Toledo Santa Maria. It helps the, the kids at First Christian go to, go to camp. And so if you're going to buy a fireworks, you should go there. If you go to TNT.com, uh, TNTfireworks.com, you can actually download a $10 coupon as well. And take that with you because that $10 all comes out of TNT's side and actually FCC gets all of the rest of the money. So you should do that. And then lastly, I would like you guys to keep a lady named Wendy Stanley in your prayers. Uh, she uh, she schedules all the prayers that, that are in the back. She does a lot of stuff for us at Element. Her husband's name is Britt. He manages our softball teams. And she has a serious medical... The doctors don't even know really what's wrong with her, but she has been in the hospital for almost a week at this point. And so if you would just remember her in your prayers this week, they would very much covet those prayers. All right? We will. Okay, good. Why don't you guys stand with me for reading to God's Word? This is Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7. And it says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand patience and grace and goodness and where you focused us to as a people, and that we would wait for the timing for the love that you call us to in our lives to come, and that we would honor it the way you call us to honor it. Amen. Have a seat. 
So we are in the Summer of Love, Song of Solomon. We were going to do this, this whole hippie thing, you know, peace, love, hippie crap, all that. We were going to do that, but instead we decided to go with the Endless Summer theme, which I think is, is much better. And in our Summer of Love today, we are actually talking about love. Amazing that. Our culture, it doesn't understand love. We, we think infatuation is love. And there's a joke that I tell at certain weddings, sometimes not all of them. So if you've been to one, you might have heard it. been to another, you might not have. But I tell this joke about the difference between infatuation and love. I say infatuation is when the bride looks at her husband and she thinks he's as gorgeous as Brad Pitt and as pure as the Pope and as funny as Chris Rock and as athletic as Michael Phelps and as smart as Albert Einstein. But love is when she realizes that he's as gorgeous as Albert Einstein and as smart as Michael Phelps. And, as, and this one gets me in trouble because I go, and as funny as the Pope. And a Catholic lady was like, I don't like you. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And as athletic as Chris Rock, and nothing like Brad Pitt in any category, but she takes him anyway. That's why we know it's love. Now today we are going to talk about love, but we're also going to talk about sex in regard to that. I told you the first week we started the Song of Solomon that the first week would be the most I said the word sex, and it was, but today is going to be the most that I actually talk about it. So, strap your seatbelts on, because we're going to hit some stuff in here. It's funny, uh, Michael Reed's mom starts, started doing the U version thing this week, and so she's reading through my notes, and she goes, oh, wow, this is kind of steamy. So, <laughs> so hopefully you will enjoy it. Now, remember, <laughs> remember in regards to, to sex, sex is not God. Though in our culture, we have worshipped worshiped it as a God. We give our money to it, our time to it. People study it through pictures in magazines. We worship it as a God, but it is not. If you are a Christian, God is God and no one else. But because people have worshipped sex as a God, the church has had a terrible overreaction to it to where they've said sex is dirty and sex is not dirty. It's a bad overreaction to sex as God. And what sex is, is sex is a gift. It was given by God to his people to steward, to enjoy, to protect, in the context of marriage to enjoy frequently. Frequently. It is to be treasured and saved and given and cultivated in marriage. And the Song of Solomon, love and sex are viewed as gifts that the couple give to one another. The Song of Songs was actually so explicit and so erotic that young Hebrew Jewish boys were not allowed to read it till they became men. And we'll tell you why, and it's a good thumbs up. So as we start through this, she starts and she says in 2.7, she says that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The NIV actually says it like this. It says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It is like she says, love is so good and love is so pure and love is so beautiful, you don't do anything to mess it up. Now, hopefully by the end of this, you will understand why she says this, because we'll come right back around to that. Now, the Hebrew has different words for the word love. The two main words in Hebrew that they use for love is this word called ahav, like, oh, I have it, ahav, I I have that thing. This is the most common Hebrew word translated as love. It's used 208 times in the Hebrew scriptures. It is used for, it's like our word for love. It's used for almost everything. It's used in regard between a, a father and a son in Genesis 22, 2 and 44, 20. It's used between slaves and masters. And you can't think slaves like America practiced. But in this culture, many times you would have a slave in your house and they would become a member of your family. They'd become adopted in. And it's used as the love between a master and a slave. When, when uh, Exodus 19:18 says, love your neighbor, this is the word that it uses. When a stranger visits your land, Deuteronomy 10:19 says you are to love them. This is the word that it uses. But it can also be used in Genesis 27:4. It can used to be used of the love of food. Like we go, oh, I love cookies. Or I love tri-tip. That's 
Okay, it's, it's like that. It can be used negatively as in the love for wealth in Ecclesiastes 5.9. It can be used of loving God's commands, Psalm, in Psalm 119. Again, this is like our word for love. It's used for everything. The other word that's most commonly used in Hebrew is the word hased. Hased can be translated as grace, compassion, or love. And this it carries the idea that God keeps his word no matter what, that God indi- this love indicates that God is faithful to the relationships that he has established. But the Song of Songs uses three different words for the word love between a man and a woman. And I'm going to cover these with you so you understand better when she says that you not stir up or awaken love until it so pleases. The first word they use is the word raya. This is uh, chapter 1, verse 9. You see this word raya. Uh, it kind of reminds me of kung fu. It's like raya, right? Maybe not, just me. Okay, this is the general word for love. It can be used like. It varies between subject and object in its intensity. This could be friends. This could be best friends. This could be companion. It's an emphasis on a spiritual connection that you share with each other. Uh, in our culture, sometimes we would translate this as soulmate. But this could be between two guy friends, two girlfriends, a guy and a girl. This is friendship. This is the basis and the core of a relationship is raya. The second word is ahava. It actually comes out of the word ahav, but it has a little kind of tag on the end. So it's pronounced ahava. reminds me of Sesame Street when you see peanut butter sandwiches. Ahava, peanut butter sandwiches. At least some of you watch Sesame Street going up. It is used 40 times in the Song of Solomon. In this, in, in this sense, it means deep affection. It is a sense of desire to be with somebody so bad that your heart aches when you are not with them, where your heart and your mind are bent towards the other person. Uh, it, I, my, my wife has some plants in our house, and she puts them over here in the corner, and they will tend to start growing towards the window where the sunlight is. That's what it kind of means. We start to grow towards the other person. We are bent towards them. And so this brings a passion and an intensity that builds on top of raya. It's a sense that says, I'd rather be here with this person than anywhere else in the entire universe. In chapter 8, verse 7, in Song of Songs, it says, Many waters cannot quench ahava, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for ahava all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Now, why would it be despised? Because money can't buy love. See, the Beatles actually had it right in the song, right? You can't, money can't buy love. Uh, it also says, chapter 8, verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love, ahava, is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Love is as strong as death. Ahava literally is a love of the will. It says it's flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the, of the Lord. It is more profound than romantic feelings. It's more than temporary urges. It is a decision, a commitment to join your life to someone else's, a commitment that goes through anger, pain, and jealousy, and depression, and laughter, and fear, and resentment, and scorn. Ahava makes a relationship last. And the last word that's used in the Song of Solomon for love is the word dode. I love the word dode because it even sounds dirty because it is. Dode. Literally, dode means to caress, to rock. My favorite, it means to fondle. It's a good word, dode. Dode actually comes from an unused root that means properly in context to boil. So it's like a slow burn. There's not a whole lot of imagination behind the word dode, or maybe there's too much imagination behind it. In chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your dode is more delightful than wine. Your dode is better than wine. That's amazing. Proverbs 7, verse 8 says, Come, let us take our fill of dode till morning. Let us delight ourselves with dode. This is why you don't want little, young Hebrew-Jewish boys reading this till they're men, because 
I'll just let you go with that. So, so dote is the physical, sexual side of love. Uh, many commentators believe it is where the Greek word eros comes from, which is where we get the word erotic. So when a man and a woman come together, there are these three loves, and they become combined as if they are three chemicals that are helpful on their, when they're alone. But when they're combined, they create a new thing, a new flame, a new element that is powerful enough to burn with enough energy to last an entire lifetime. Now, many people today, they want to bypass the way God has set up marriage and intimacy, thinking that they can make this fire burn on their own. We try to create our own passion, but our flames will always pale in comparison to how God designed it to be done in the correct way. I'll tell you, I have been married 18 years. It'll be 19 years in October, and I think my wife is more beautiful and more sexy today than the day we met. I think she is, uh, I am more devoted to her and more attracted to her than, than our, our wedding night, than last week, than yesterday. Every day that we are together, I love her and attract to her more and more and more. Hear me. Uh, If you are living together this morning, a relationship with the opposite sex should be kind of like building a house. You cannot build a house on dode. A house has to be built on a foundation. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It works like this. Raya is like a foundation to a house. It is built on friendship, love, trust. It is a bond between two people. Then Ahava comes in, and Ahava is like the house itself. The walls, the siding, the roof, the rooms, it's all built on top of the foundation of Raya. And then Dode is like the furniture that you put into the house. And you may not be married, and you may think, well, we have some great Dode. But if you have not first become friends or made the commitment to each other, meaning marriage, Dode will get old because you are leaving your furniture outside in the elements to be destroyed. Love is to be nurtured, honored, and respected. When God designs sex to be done, you are supposed to have all these issues you deal with in your, before you get married. All the interpersonal conflicts all kind of sit in here. And then you get married and you have this wonderful gift that God gives us called sex. And it lays on top of that. It covers it like God's grace covers our marriage. In our culture, what has happened today is people get together, they start shacking up, they have sex, and sits down here, and all the problems get stacked on top, and sex gets crushed. It is no longer this covering that protects a marriage. It's underneath it, and it's being crushed by all the weight and the burden. And it needs to be pulled out, things dealt with, and laid on top of. That is how God intends it to be. Now, we're going to talk about that in in a little bit later, but I'm also going to talk about how to show love to each other because this is very important if you want to get to the place of dode. So uh, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. I recommend you all read it. He says there are different ways men and women give and receive love, that this is a language, if you will, that we speak to each other. And if you look carefully, almost every week you see the couple in Song of Solomon give different things of the love languages to each other. In marriage, if you and your spouse have different love languages, you could be loving them how you want to be loved and not how they need to be loved. And they could be loving you how they want to be loved. And no one feels loved because no one is getting spoken to by their own love language. Now, it's, it's a great exercise, I think, to ask your spouse or your future spouse if they know what their love language is. I will give you those in just a second. Some are very high maintenance. They got like two, three, five. It's like their love isn't like a, like a nice country road. It's like a 10-lane superhighway. And you've got to use all the lanes and, and figure it all out. 
Uh, but not everything works for all people. You know, some, you give flowers to one girl, she cries like she won a beauty contest. You give it to another girl and she's got hay fever and they're just terrible. <laughs> you know, guys are usually rock and roll. We're pretty 4-4, but women are like jazz. You got to kind of figure it out. It's all, how does this song work? I don't know, it's jazz. That's women. Okay, so here we go. Don't go, oh, you know I'm right. Okay, five love languages. First one is touch. Touch. You can tell the touching couples. You look around elements and just watch the touching couples. They're always like sitting together, rubbing each other's head. It's kind of, they're like a third base coach telling you to swing away. They're like... You know, that's, that's the touching couples. Cuddle, back rub, brush the hair, hold hands. Uh, if you are a, a touching wife and your husband's not holding you, you feel unloved. He hasn't touched me all day. Oh, our, our marriage is terrible. And then he's like this. Oh, oh, it's terrible. Oh, oh it's terrible. Okay, that's, that, that's touch. And so guys are like that too. It's funny. We were talking about this in my GC this week, and a lot of the guys are touch guys. I'm like, wow, that's kind of amazing. Because uh, I'm not. Uh, Time. Uh, next one is time. Uh, time. This is where you get together and one of you is like, oh, don't go do anything. Let's not go anywhere. Stay here with me. Evenings, weekends, vacations, date night, couple night, alone time, me time, 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 time. I never see you. I need more time, for example. Okay. Uh, the next one is called service. Service. This is where you help them. You do something for them. You run an errand. Hey, the house is a wreck. Can you help? Now, if you're a touch or a time person, you're like, no, I don't want to help. I just want to sit here next to you. Well, you better learn how to actually do some service uh, for somebody else. Uh, my, my wife loves service. She does. We, she's always really kind. I tell you this all the time. She's so good and nice and kind to me. And I ask her once, you know, what can I do to make you feel loved? And she goes, well, you can clean the house. And that makes no sense to me as a guy because I, I just think I got the whole house and what do I do with that? And so I go, give me a list. So she gives me a list, you know, vacuum and clean the bathrooms and the dishwasher. So I go, oh, okay, I, I can do that. And so I start vacuuming and all of a sudden I am totally sexy when I vacuum. Sometimes when I hear a car pull in the garage and I'm home, I'll be like, oh, pull up vacuum. <laughs> hey, what's going on? I was just cleaning the house. <laughs> That's what you do. I'm telling you. Some, some of you love to be served. Breakfast in bed, gardening, you know, painting the house, whatever it is. Uh, the next one is called gifts. This is, some it's small, some it's big. Some it's, hey, here's a card, here's Starbucks, here's an orange dream from Jamba Juice. My wife likes those, by the way. Blueberry muffin, stuff like that. Some it's big. Hey, here's a car. Or, you know, Proverbs 14.1 says a wise woman builds her house. A wise man will buy her one. This, gifts. And the last one is words, uh, talking or words of affirmation. Some people just love to talk, 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 talk. That's me. I also uh, like to talk. That's phone, email, chat, video chat, words, words, words. Now, most guys actually have one of their love languages as words of affirmation. We love compliments. Tell us how great and wonderful we are, no matter if we're terrible at it. Boy, you know, if he goes out and he mows the lawn and he takes off half the top of it with the mower, be like, man, you're just the greatest lawnmower I've ever seen. I mean, you just tell him how wonderful it is because that's usually what guys need. And then also, some women just really like to talk. Guys don't get that as much. But he's so excited this morning. He's like, yeah. He's all, I heard my baby dedication. <laughs> we did his about a month ago. So, Anyway, uh, the key in this is you must know the language of your spouse and communicate that to each other and serve one another how you need to be loved. Now, the bad news in this, this can change over time. Guys, you may marry a girl who really loves gifts, and then you guys get married, you have like five kids, all of a sudden she changes to service. 
and she wants service. You know, it's, it's a good idea if you are dating, uh, ask the person you're dating or engaged to, uh, what is your love language? Do you know what it is? How can I help in that? Again, I told you, mine is words of affirmation. I want my wife to tell me how wonderful I am. I want to think that I'm the best in her eyes. I don't care what you guys think about me. I care what she thinks about me. And sometimes when we get in a fight, I'm the guy, I just talk and talk and talk. And she's like, I heard you the first time an hour ago. And I'm like, no, we're beating the dead horse. She's like, I know it's been dead for an hour. And I'm like, ah, and she's like, stop talking. I'm like, I can't. I'm just loving you. So what you want to do is, if you're married, I want you to ask your spouse two questions. One, what have I done that has made you feel the most loved? And what have I done that has made you feel the most unloved? And you should write those things down. And the things that make them feel the most unloved, never do again. All right? Just don't do it. Just stop it. I mean, some guys, you're like, I'm a service guy. I'm going to roof the house. I'm going to sweep. And if she's a cuddler, you better get your butt off the roof, get inside, and cuddle with her. Again, Psalm of Solomon, very, very practical. And you see all of these things throughout the book. Probably already have. They give gifts of jewelry to each other. They serve one another. They spend time together. They touch each other outside and inside the bedroom. And they speak wonderful words of affirmation to each other. And when we look at today, the woman, again, she initiates what is said here. She is very frank. She is very open. She is very honest. But again, they didn't start here. This takes a lot of time to get to where they are after the wedding. They didn't meet online or in a bar and two weeks later decide, hey, Dode's the next step. Let's move on in together and figure this out. Dode is a process of trust and intimacy. Have a Bible. Open to Song of Songs chapter 2. Previously, we looked at uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, where she says, I am a rose of Sharon. I told you a rose of Sharon is a plain flower. She says, I am very plain. Why do you place me above all these other women? I'm plain compared to them. And in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, As a lily among the brambles, so is my love among the young women. He says, you know what? You are unique. You stand out among everybody. And my heart is for you, and I love you. So chapter 2, verse 3. And so she says, Well, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. So he says, You are unique. And she says, No, you're unique. If you walk through a forest and there's like one apple tree, you're like, Well, that's weird. Right? Because it's different. It's like, And that she says, You are unique like that. And among all the trees, among all the men, you are unique. And then she says this, With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. And there's a lot of things in here that we can learn from the stuff that she says. I'm going to give you just three. And the first one is this, that she needs a protector to feel love. She needs a protector. She says, his banner over me was love. The banner, this was a flag. When nations went to war, a battle would rage. Men would get scattered. They don't know where to go. Fear begins to set in. Some guys begin to seize up. And then a banner would be lifted. And you would know where to go where safety was. This is where you rally to the flag. The flag was a place you get to in order to live. And she says, he is my banner. With him I am safe. His leadership, his care, his defense of her, his love for her. In 1 Peter 3, it tells men not to be harsh with their wives. You are called to be a banner. Ladies, if you are dating a man and he gets verbally harsh or he is abusive or, God forbid, he pushes you to do some things physically you don't want to do or he is physically abusive in any way or threatens you, you need to run for your life because he is not a banner. He is your enemy. 
You must run for your life. The man you want to be with is the one you will feel protected and loved and cared for by. This is spiritually, emotionally, physically. You should know your husband or your future husband wants to protect you and will stand for you as a banner. I will tell you, if anybody messes with my wife, and, and, it's, and it's on the podcast almost every week, so I swear I'm going to jail if someone ever hurts my wife. Because I will tell you, if someone hurts her or messes with her, you will not find the body. All right? You will not. If I can't beat you up, I do own a gun. I own two, three, four, four. I own... See, I just, I don't know. I got guns. I don't know what happens to those. Uh, and, and, and if you're bigger than me and I, and I might get caught with a gun, I will run you over with my car because it is definitely bigger than you. It, it, it will happen. This is, this is what it's supposed to look like. My wife and I walk down the road with each other. I walk on the side that's closest to the road. So God forbid a car hops the curb and hits somebody, it should hit me, not her. This is in, in the Bible, headship, right? Men, you're always going first. That's part of headship. You get run over first. That's just how it works. If my wife and I go, go out to dinner... We usually sit in a booth if we can. We sit next to each other on the same side. We don't sit opposite each other because we like sitting together. And I sit on the outside. And if something happens, God forbid, and something crazy goes down, I can be in the best position to try and protect her as best that I can. And this is not chauvinism. This is simply love. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You are always giving to her. You are always honoring her, always going first for her. Now, the second thing in Song of Solomon, and this is where we get to kind of the PG-13 stuff. Uh, he learns in certain circumstances, certain circumstances, the man needs to be told what to do. Certain circumstances, you need to be told what you like. She says, his hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. She's like, put your arm here, hold me like this. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. She says, when we get together and, and it's our time of intimacy, sometimes my blood sugar gets low because it's so long and wonderful and I need to eat to keep up my stamina. That, that's what she says. Okay, the best politically correct way I can say this, she talks to him during their time of intimacy. She talks during sex. Now, th- this, this isn't like, like some of you ladies I know when you're like, oh, you've got to change the oil in my car. Oh, the cat peed on your shirt. Okay. <laughs> Don't talk like that. that. That's not the kind of talking that, that guys need. But you have full freedom in lovemaking like the woman does here to tell your husband what you want. And most men will not get irritated. They will probably totally appreciate it. Do this and do this. He'll praise God because now he knows what he is doing. Most guys, we're like cave explorers who forgot our flashlight, don't know where we're going. Especially newly married men. you got to help him. Do this, do this, and never do that again. All right? You, you, you let him know. Every guy has part of their sexual fulfillment, the need to satisfy his wife. And if you tell him in intimate moments, it will help him greatly, greatly. The third thing in this is that a couple should talk about everything. Communication is key to this. I would say the most important part of sexuality for a couple is communication. George Barna wrote this, actually last week. He wrote, Despite the ubiquitous presence of sexuality in American media and the widespread focus on sex and daily conversation and behavior, roughly one-third of all marriages are sexless marriages, those in which the married couple has sex less than ten times a year. Look at this, verse 3, she says, With great delight I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. This drives commentators crazy because they know what she says, but they don't know what to do with it. Like, oh, we can't, that can't be in the Bible. Oh, my goodness, that, that's kind of crazy stuff. Joseph Dillow, in his commentary on the Song of Solomon, the best commentary, I believe, on the Song of Solomon, writes this. We have a faint and delicate reference to an oral genital caress. And you're thinking, did he just say that in church? 
Yes, I, I just said that in church. It's, it's in the Bible. It is not something crazy teenagers thought up. But I will tell you this again. Oral sex is sex. I don't care what sex ed classes are trying to teach your kids today. It is sex. It is reserved for marriage as all sex is. But this couple talks about it. She says, I know you enjoy it. Therefore, I enjoy it too. All scripture is God-breathed. useful for teaching and helping us in righteousness. What a wonderful thing to be in there. Married couples should talk about everything. It is okay to talk about these things. Now, I know some of you guys are going, I can't believe you said this. I'm never coming back. I know some of you guys are like, dang it, why didn't my wife come this morning? I know you. It goes both ways. It, it, is, it is not a sin to talk about trying new things or very old things, if you will, that are in the Scriptures. The biggest problem for married couples they have in regard to sex is they don't want to talk about any of it. And I don't say what I'm about to say in just a moment to shock you or anything like that. It's because most of you, I will not get in my office for marriage counseling. And you'll probably never hear this from anybody. So I've got to say it here. But after I say it, hear the rest of the message. Don't just turn me off because you're like, I can't believe he just said that. All right, or you're going to go with me. The average woman takes 10 to 15 minutes to have an orgasm. The average guy does not have that in him. I don't care how many drinks he's had, he doesn't have it in him. It is why foreplay is actually in the scriptures. It is okay to touch the other person you're married to in places you want to touch them. It is part of God's design. It is why you need to talk about it. Statistically speaking, of men who masturbate, 95% of them masturbate the exact same way. Of women who masturbate, 80% masturbate differently. Now, I'm not advocating masturbation. What I'm telling you is that you see that women are different from each other. Men, you do not need to go pick up a book to how to be the ladies' man. You need to learn how to be your ladies' man. That's what you need to understand. You don't need to read a book on how to make love like a porn star. You need to learn how to make love like, like her husband or his wife. That's how you need to learn to make love. You need to understand each other because you are unique. Our culture is destroying what God has created marriage to be. And when sex is bad in a marriage, it is huge. Many times a wife will say, hey, what's wrong? I will tell you, if most guys are honest, they'll say, well, I'd like to have sex. But most guys don't. They're like, nothing. Really? Guys, I'm going to help you out right here. Ladies, nine times out of ten, he wants to have sex. Okay, um, there you go. What's wrong? You don't even have to ask the question. You got the answer right there. And if it's something else, you'll be like, no, I want to talk about this. We'll be like, okay. You know, I was trying to help you out, but whatever. <laughs> this is, and then when the guy actually does this, well, I want to have sex, and the wife says, oh, okay. And then the guy goes, well, you only want to because I said something. I mean, seriously? She said, okay. What's your problem? Get over it. Guys, statistically speaking, will initiate sex 95% of the time. It is okay. Get over it. It's how you were built. Just run with it. It's not that she doesn't want to. She just doesn't think about it all the time like you do. Okay? Now, not every guy's like this. Some, some guys are married to women who, who go and they initiate. Guys, praise God for her. All right? Just thank God for a woman like that. So here's my question again for you on, on the way home. Actually, how about not on the way home? How about after baptisms? Because if it gets answered correctly, you may not make it to baptism. So, so here's the question for you on the way home. How can I please you? Okay? This is in the love language as well as in the bedroom, both places. How can I please you? Again, some of you will question my motivation for talking to you like this today, but I will tell you at Element, we have a few hundred people come through our doors every Sunday. Other people listen to the podcast online, and I never want anybody to get divorced, get bitter with their spouse, or God forbid, ever commit adultery. I believe that God wants His children to serve one another in marriage, to make love to one another, to grow old together, to always be faithful to one another, and to delight in each other. That's what I want. 
It is never my dream or James's dream to counsel your kids that you're divorced. We don't want that to happen. Well, I want your kids to say, my parents are crazy in love with each other. Sometimes it's sickening, but I want that too. I want that in my marriage. And that is love. And this is why she says what she says. And since she rounds it out with the verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is why you wait. You don't rush in. You allow God his time to work. You let Dode come when it's supposed to. After marriage, when you have a lifetime to explore it in the safety and the sanctity of the covenant that God has provided. Now, the words that the Song of Solomon uses for love are also used of God's love for man, though in different connotations, obviously. And so when, when this word ahava is used, the character of God actually infuses it with intensity and stability. In Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And this, in turn, is how we are supposed to love others and, more intently, our spouse with an everlasting love. God's love for man is given as the motive for God's choice of and continuing commitment to his people. In Deuteronomy 4, 37-39, Moses tells Israel, And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Why did God do this for his people? Because he loved them. It is his continuing commitment to them. And this is how we again are to love one another with the continuing commitment. Love is to be powerful. Love alone moves God to choose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and eventually you and I to be his. The Song of Solomon is this Old Testament book and the prophets looked back on this throughout Israel's history and saw the love of God in every event that took place in it. They also see the love of God in places like Hosea 11.1, 1, Malachi chapter 1. You also see it in God's discipline of his people in Proverbs 3.2. It is all love coming together. It is God's love first given to us, intended to be shared with all people in a unique, intense way with your husband or wife. This is what it's supposed to look like. We must be a people who learn to love like God loves. And this means it is a commitment, honesty, and hope. That is how the love is supposed to look like. And when it is lived and loved that way, intimacy in a marriage becomes full of life and hope and joy. Now this morning, as we bring you guys to communion, what I would like you to do before you take communion is I'd like you to repent. I'd like you to ask God, in what ways have I not been showing my spouse love if you are married? All right? If you are not married, I'd like you to ask God, show me in what ways I haven't been loving those around me like you're calling me to love. And I want you to then go and you repent and you humble yourself before God. Then you take that cracker and you break it that reminds us of Christ's blood, a body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, reminding us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So that we then can be redeemed and start to live the life that he calls us to live. So we can be the example to Cody. So that he can see how marriages are supposed to look and be lived. Now we'll worship God through song and the band's going to come back up. And as they do, take a few moments about singing of God's love for us and remember this love that he, that he has for us. Uh, we will also worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you as a couple have not been speaking into each other's lives and, and you would like to and you want someone to pray for you, go in the back. They, they will pray with you. Uh, if, if you feel like you need to learn how this, this looks like because one day you're planning to get married and you're like, oh my goodness, I need to understand this, then you should go pray with them as well.
Uh, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship, so we give you the opportunity every week. And there is no food in the back today. You know why? Because you're all supposed to come to baptisms. Park up and down the street. Don't worry about it. It's a big, long street. You may have to walk a mile to get there, but you know you can park up and down the street. It's, a, it's okay. You all come and, and learn to fellowship today. Hang out with each other. Get to know each other. Again, I will tell you that none of the stuff that we talk about in the Song of Solomon will have make any sense to you whatsoever if you don't know who Jesus Christ is. And so you must bow your knee to Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And again, if you'd like to do that, there'll be those deacons and elders in the back to pray with you. Love each other. Love each other. How God calls us to love in commitment, honesty, hope, and truth. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for the very risque parts of Scripture and that you have given them to us to read, to enjoy. And we ask that in that, you would teach us how to truly love. Father, for those of us who are married, I ask that you would teach us how to love our spouses because, God, honestly, what has happened is that there will be places and times that we don't love as we should love. And so I ask that you would change our hearts so we would see those times that that your spirit would convict us in those moments and we would stop and we would start to love how we are supposed to. For those in this room who aren't married, I ask that you would give them great hope for what a marriage can be for them. Father, for those in this room who uh, maybe are widows or widowers, I ask that you would help them to look back at their life from where they've been, the love that they experienced there, and also the great love that you promised them now and throughout all of eternity. And that we would be a people who then can understand your love better and better because of the relationships that you have put us in. And that we will now live lives of love so people in this world who don't know you can experience your love by how we treat them and what we do. Father, we thank you for your love being so extravagant to us as your people. And we, as the we this morning, ask again that you would teach us how to live in that great, firm, and good love. Amen.